please turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. And if you would like to, go ahead and, and take a seat. Uh, we're going to do a little introduction to the book of 1 Peter. So go ahead and take your seats. Uh, as you may know, it is our practice here at Redeemer Church to do what we call expository preaching, which is where we go through a book of the Bible and we do uh, line by line, precept by precept. And today we're going to beginning be, we're going to begin a series on the book of First Peter, and uh, as our practice to give a, a brief overview of the book before we get started. So that's what I'm going to do just now. Uh, the scholar Edmund Clowney wrote that First Peter is. Uh, the most condensed New Testament resume of the Christian faith and of the conduct that it inspires. Uh, Martin Luther thought that this was a magnificent book on par with the book of Romans or the Gospel of John. Uh, it was written by the Apostle Peter, uh, probably from the city of Rome, roughly uh, A.D. 63. And uh, Peter addresses this letter to uh, the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Uh, a number of different cities which were perhaps provinces or uh, smaller regions in the Roman Empire. Uh, it's not clear how Peter knew these churches, uh, whether he had evangelized these churches, or is this just where the, the gospel had spread. Uh, we do know that some of those uh, people from those areas were there at Pentecost, on Pentecost Sunday, when Peter preached a great sermon, but that was decades before this book was written. It's possible that some of those people were there as well. <clears throat> but, I mean, those, those five locations, they don't really mean a whole lot to us, uh, but those, those five locations couldn't be more different uh, among, among the five of them. They were, they were very different geographically. Some of them were mountainous, some of them were coastal towns, uh, some, they had diverse languages, origins, ethnic roots, customs, religious uh, backgrounds, political histories. Uh, it'd be like uh, if Peter today were writing the book and he said, to the elect exiles in Boston, in Montreal, Salt Lake City, Dallas, Juarez, San Juan, Puerto Rico. Very different, different languages, different backgrounds. In fact, the only unifying factor across these five different uh, areas that we know is that they were all members of the, of the household of God. They were all believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. In, in some ways, 1 Peter is a companion book to the book of Mark. Uh, first, or Peter, the Apostle Peter uh, helped influence the book of Mark with his testimony of the Lord Jesus. As Dr. Clowney put it, he said, Peter's testimony about the life of Jesus is reflected in Mark's gospel, but in this letter he shows us what that story means for us, as Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. It's a, it's a book for us as we seek to live out a God-glorifying life in the midst of the world. However, if there was a one-word summary for the first book of 1 Peter, it would be the word suffering. Suffering. Peter explains that our identity as Christians is a source of great joy and yet at the same time, it is the reason that we so often suffer trials. It encourages us how to live as Christians in the midst of a world that is hostile to the gospel. And, and he can summarize his, his point in 1 Peter 5.12 where he says, this is the true grace of God. Stand in it. It's a call for us to stand in the grace of God in the midst of the world. It's a wonderful book for us at this point in our life at Redeemer Church 
And so please stand with me as we begin our study of the book of 1 Peter. Today we'll be in 1 Peter 1, verses 1 through 9. Hear now the word of God. Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. So ends the reading of God's Word. And what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Indeed, our God, this is Your Word. Would You please speak to us and comfort our hearts we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So last week we said goodbye to our senior pastor of the past 16 years. Has it sunk in yet? As one person said at our farewell dinner, with Brian and Jennifer's leaving, there, there is something something substantial that will be missing from us individually uh, and definitely corporately. Uh, For one thing, gone with him are the stories of being a firefighter paramedic (laughs) or renovating a hundred-year-old house in St. Louis. And of course, gone are the stories of fishing the Blue River in Oklahoma. But more important than a few stories that are well familiar to us, uh, is the man who was our shepherd for 16 years. A man who stood by us in some of the most important times of our life. For many of us, he baptized our children or performed our wedding. Uh, He was also there in the midst of some of the most trying times. Maybe he stood beside us as we buried a wife, or a child, or a brother, or a friend. For all of us, uh, he was the man that the Lord, through 16 years, shepherded this flock, who spoke to us the gospel of grace week after week, and proclaimed his goodness and his grace to us. And now, friends, we're officially in the point of a transition in the midst of this church. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, I can reiterate with the same strength that Bryant did before he left, we are in a wonderful place as a church. But 
let's not kid ourselves. This is going to be a trial. For 16 years, the Lord shepherded this flock by the chief under-shepherd, Bryant McGee. And now that he's gone, things are going to be different. Things are going to be bumpy. Things are going to be uh, chaotic as we try to figure out what that's like. There's not always going to be consistency week after week in this pulpit, bringing you the same uh, message uh, through the same vehicle. There's going to be adjustments that we make. We're on this road together, and honestly, I can say with full confidence, I would not want to be on this road with anyone else but all of you. And the Lord has blessed us with wonderful elders and deacons for such a time as this. But it's going to be a bumpy ride. So I think the question that I want to ask, and I think we ought to ask, is how, how do we move forward in the midst of trials? This, this is going to be a trial for us as a body and, and, and individually. I think our common reaction, uh, two things are, are common. One, I think it's very common for us to respond with some kind of anger, uh, whether it's vocally anger or complaining, uh, or it's just a cool bitterness. I, this isn't a situation that I wanted. I didn't, I didn't ask for this. I liked it the way it was. Uh, that, that's one response. But I think an, another response, maybe more common for many of us, is kind of a denial, a kind of an ignoring of the fact that there, there even is a trial. You know, we're, we're, we're going to be happy and put it on a brave face as though everything's good and, and fine. But friends, I think the, the picture that Peter gives us is, is something a bit more mature and a bit, a bit deeper than that. He gives us a third way, and that is and that he, he calls us to rejoice. Rejoice in the midst of the trials. And this isn't just a, a Pollyanna, everything is awesome. And we're just going to smile about it and move on with our lives. But it's a, it's a mature rejoicing, resting in the goodness and the grace of our sovereign Lord. And at the same time, uh, seeing that there's a glorious purpose for the trials that we go through. That, that the Lord is proving out our faith. He's testing our faith. Proving it to be genuine. So that He can receive the praise and the glory and the honor forever and ever. Friends, we have every reason to rejoice. Um, Peter, after his uh, opening greeting, starts this way in verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Whew, long sentence. There's a lot there. Let's unpack it. First thing is he says is, we have been born again. Right there in verse 3. Jesus had told Nicodemus, he said, unless you are born again, you'll never see the kingdom of heaven. But Peter here declares to us that we have been born again. It has taken place. We are new creatures in Christ. So the second thing, we've been born again, and he says it's been, we've been born again according to his great mercy. Now mercy implies judgment. Mercy means we are not getting what we do deserve. We deserve to be judged. We are objects of wrath. But God has shown us mercy he has condescended to us and, and He has extended His mercy to us and it is in that mercy that we have been born again to this, uh, that we've been born again. Thirdly, we've been, uh, it's, according to His great mercy, is He's caused us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we have received 
this new birth by something that has already taken place. Jesus Christ is no longer in the grave. And as certain as His grave is empty, so certain have we received that new birth. We are new creatures in Christ. Now it is certain. And fourthly, and this is where things get interesting, we've been born into something. Something that points to the future. He says He's caused us to be born again to a living hope. And then to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Uh, um, he's, He's hinting to something that we haven't yet received. That hope implies something that you haven't gotten yet. As Paul says, he says, who hopes for what he already has? But we hope, and our hope will never disappoint us. He's, 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 we've been born into a living hope. And an inheritance is something, not that is our possession now, it's something that we will inherit at some point in the future. So even though we, are, we have this new birth now, there is something that yet remains, this living hope. And yet there's a, there's a certainty to it. Even though it's, it's yet to come, there's a certainty. It's a living hope. It is not a, a dead hope or one that will be frustrated or futile. It is one that is certain. And then he talks about this inheritance, this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It's, it's one that is, it is it's perfect. It's, it, it will never fade. It will never be defiled. It will never, it'll never perish. Now, it's, it's interesting the way that he talks about it. He doesn't, he doesn't actually say what that inheritance is that is ours. He really only tells us what it is not, that it's, that it's not going to perish or or be defiled or, or fade. So, so what, is, what is that inheritance? Well, I think if we, we got to start by thinking in, in the terms of the original recipients of this letter. Um, so in this particular time, the idea of inheritance largely meant land uh, to the Israelites as well as to these, these recipients of this letter. Um, land was a uh, symbol of wealth, and status. If you remember, God had promised to the Israelites that he would give them the promised land, and he divided up the land and gave it to them as an inheritance. It was their allotment. It passed down from generation after generation. And, um, and yet, th- that inheritance that they had was not, it was not perfect. It was not ideal. The Israelites lost their inheritance when they went into exile. Uh, and, and when the Romans occupied, it, it became defiled by their sin. It became uh, it, the, the, the fruit of the, of the land was, was supposed to produce some kind of uh, reward, but the reward faded over time. But as one commentator points out, the, 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 the inheritance that Peter's saying that is ours is, is so much more ideal than that. It's, it's one that won't perish, that won't, won't be taken away from us. It's kept in heaven for us. It will never be defiled. It will never fade away. It is, it is, it is the perfect inheritance. And yet, he's, he's still not saying exactly what, what this inheritance is. I mean, it's, uh, and I think what the issue is, I think what the issue is, is that Peter can't, can't find the words to describe it. And, and you see this all throughout the New Testament. Uh, um, Jesus, Jesus used to talk about uh, the kingdom of heaven. He said, he said, little flock, little flock, fear not. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The kingdom. Which, but then when he went to describe what the kingdom was, he spoke in parables. It was like, it was like the, even Jesus 
fail to have the words to, to adequately say this is what the kingdom is. Um, the Apostle John talked about uh, the city of God or a new heavens and a new earth, which you know, makes, makes our minds expand with thinking, oh, that, that sounds wonderful. But even, even there, it's that we don't have anything with pinpoint precision as far as what it is that we're receiving. And here, here Peter can only speak in the negative. He said it, it, it's an inheritance that's so wonderful, and it's, it's never going to perish. It's never, it's never going to fade. It's never going to be defiled. It's kept in heaven for you. He can only speak in negatives. And I think what it is, is it's, it's so wildly beyond our grasp that we can't, even, we can't even comprehend. There aren't even words in our languages to describe that which has been reserved for us. Um, it, it, Dr. Clowney said, he said, it's not, our inheritance isn't simply a, a land or a city or, or even a new heavens and a new earth. It's, it's everything that God will give us for all eternity. It is His salvation. It is a new heavens and a new earth that's unaffected by the fall. It is eternal life that is free of sadness or loss or pain with every tear wiped away. It is eternal life in perfect community with all of God's people from all eternity, including friends and loved ones that we've said goodbye to or that we've lost. But in sinless community forever and ever. And it's, and it's eternity staring into the face of our loving Savior who lived and bled and died and was raised to new life for us. It is His salvation. It is every blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace, for, forever and ever. It's beyond, our, it's, it's beyond describing. It's beyond comprehending. But it's going to be so wonderful. And yet Peter says, this is your inheritance now. It is yours now. It is, it is kept in heaven for you. It is secure. You don't have to worry about it being taken away from you. It is, it is yours being guarded by the power of God Himself. It is, it, as Jesus said, it's, it's, you know, we're supposed to store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy and thieves won't break in and steal. That is what's there. It, it, it's in a place where, where whatever treasure it is on earth that we fear losing, whatever, whatever good thing that we have, it is the fulfillment of those good promises, but, but kept in for us for all eternity. And it's ours. This inheritance is ours. It's, it's waiting for us now. It, it ought to be a reason for us to rejoice. But it's ours, friends, if, if, we are united to Christ by faith. It is ours if we are seeking to live day by day by faith. And it is ours if we persevere to the end. But the good news, friends, is that that if is a certainty. Look at verse 5. He says, Kept in heaven for you, you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Just as certain as our inheritance is guarded in heaven, so we are being guarded by that same power of God through faith. It is, it is a precious gift that the Lord has given us and He is guarding us for that coming inheritance. This, friends, I mean, it's remarkable what this should do for us. This ought to give us great confidence in, in our future. This is telling us that it is, it is solely God's work that God is Himself ensuring that 
He will persevere. He will preserve us unto the end. That He will ensure that this gift of His glorious inheritance, this living hope, will happen. Will be ours. It is a yes and amen. And it has to give us confidence in our lives now. Now, because if, if we have this coming, if it is a certainty, then what could possibly be taken away from us? What could possibly, how, how could we possibly be affected in any way that is tangible? What could we possibly lose? The Lord has given us every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ and a glorious inheritance promised for all eternity. Friends, it, that has to be cause for us to rejoice. And that's exactly what Peter continues with in verse 6. He says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. And here's the rub of the Christian life, isn't it, friends? The Lord has given us these great and precious promises. He, we, we know that He is the sovereign God of the universe. And yet, even though we have received these promises, even though He promises to guard us, even now in the midst of our lives, for a little while, if necessary, we are grieved by various trials. In the here and now, we, we can and ex will expect to have trials. So what kind of trials? Peter says various trials. All kinds of trials. Uh, the, the trials that was probably most in the, in the forefront of the recipients of this was persecution. Persecution of the church. If you remember, these are the five churches, five areas that were spread out through the dispersion. And the dispersion happened uh, in the book of Acts when there was persecution of the church and the church was spread out from Jerusalem. It's the way that the Lord used to spread the gospel of grace. And uh, shortly after this book was, was completed, there was... There was there was a, per, a major persecution of the church under Emperor Nero. But th these guys, like us, probably faced a, maybe nothing a specific persecution, just a low-grade persecution and rejection of, of the church. And, and we still see this type of persecution today all across the globe. Middle East, India, China, there's, there's persecution of the church uh, in, in very focused ways. But we feel it too, don't we? I mean, uh, we, we face rejection, or ridicule, or rebuke uh, because of our faith, because we bear the name of Christ. Uh, even, even our youth, we, we talked a little bit about sharing the gospel in the midst of in the youth group, and I asked the question, well, what, what, what causes us to, to hold off? And they said, well, you know, because we don't know how people will react, or they might, they might uh, reject us, or they might ridicule us. Even in the midst of a culture that claims to be uh, tolerant and accepting and diverse. The message of the gospel is offensive. And we face persecution. Now it's low grade. Maybe someday it will be something more. So persecution is one, one time. And being united to Christ and bearing witness to His name comes at a tremendous cost. Paul said to the, Timothy, he said, everyone, everyone, all who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. All. There's a certainty of it. That it, being united to Christ comes at a cost. We, we become aliens and strangers like these elect exiles where, where we don't fit in the world anymore. And so we feel that type of trial. But Peter says various trials. You know, it, it's, it's all sorts of trials that we face. It could, you know, we face sicknesses and injuries and just the futility of our work. 
frustrations, conflict with individuals, job loss, financial loss, struggle with our own sins, difficult, painful, broken marriages, children that wander away from the Lord, pain and frustration of the long-term care of a loved one, or the pain or loss of a dear friend or a loved one or a pastor. And it's a paradox of the Christian faith. We might expect that by Christ saving us, He's going to remove all the bad stuff out of our life. I mean, He can do anything He wants, right? Why not just, why not just make our lives easy? Take away the pain. But our union with Christ guarantees these trials, my friends. And Peter says, he says, if necessary, it's necessary for us to face these trials. And it's important for, for us to see that it says, if necessary, you've been grieved. Grieved. And I, this is such an important point for us, I think. That these trials, I mean, it's such a, I think we have such a pressure as we go through trials to put on this brave face and to say, everything's fine. The Lord is good. He's going to bless us. And, and to not stop and actually grieve over the things that have been lost. To grieve over the pain of our trials. Um, there was a, before I came to Redeemer, there was a, I had a, I had a pastor who mentored me for many years. Uh, he, uh, he taught me a lot about what it's like to be a, uh, a man who loves his children and points them to Christ. Uh, he challenged me in my, my marriage to put to death my, my selfishness and, and try to live and love my wife as Christ loves the church. And he encouraged me as I went to seminary. He was like a, a spiritual father to me, a mentor, a dear friend. And I remember when, when he told me that he was leaving, it's, uh, I just shrugged it off. I just shrugged it off. Uh, you know, no tears. I took it like a man. I took it like a man. This is a man who invested his life in, in me, who knew me better than anyone else. And, and friends, and men, men especially, this is it's total garbage. It's total garbage. Our trials ought to, our trials, we, we're not supposed to live through life with this ascetic, you know, nothing affects us. Like we're in this pain-free thing. I didn't, it's not that I didn't ache that my dear friend left. It's just I, I didn't want to feel the pain. I just, I just wanted to numb myself. And so often that's, that's what we do. I mean, uh, uh, but all it does is it hardens our hearts, harden my heart to, to future relationships because you don't want to feel that pain. You, you, don't, you, don't want to, you don't want to think about how you've lost something that's dear to you. But woe to us, friends, if, if we're so hard-hearted that we can't be tender-hearted to one another, that we can't can't feel the love that is, is ours, that, that, the, that our God has given to us in community. To feel the pain of our trials is part of, part of who we are as, as, as people created in the image of God. Our God expresses pain. I mean, the Psalms over and over are, are, is filled with the psalmist like crying out, saying, oh Lord, answer me in the midst of my distress. It's, God delights in hearing us be real about our, our emotions and our feelings. Uh, Psalm 56 talks about how God has kept our tears in a bottle, that, that, that they're dear to Him. 
that you know, it, it doesn't, it, it's, it, he's tender and he's merciful to us in the midst of our pain. And, th- and think about Jesus. Jesus in, 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 in the interaction with Lazarus. Lazarus was his, his good friend. And Lazarus dies. And, and Jesus goes to that point. And, and what happens is, it's the shortest verse in the Bible, but it's one of the most profound. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Now, <laughs> Jesus knew God is sovereign. Jesus knew that this was part of God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. He knew that all things work to the good of those who love Him. He knew it. And yet He felt the pain and He expressed the pain. He even knew that He had and would use the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet He wept. But we struggle with that, don't we? I, I, know, I know you struggle with it because many of you told me. Last week, I heard from a number of you, I was doing so well through that service until that last song. And then I just couldn't hold it in any longer. Why? Why do we do that? Why do we protect our hearts? We should be tender. We should be, we should be willing to do that. I'm not, not faulting anyone. I, I do the same thing. I'm just saying, check your heart. Check your heart. We've had some difficult transitions. It was just a couple years ago, just two years ago, that we said goodbye to our dear pastor, Rolf Meinches. It was just a few months ago that we went through the heartbreaking ordeal with Pastor Miller. And it was just last week that we said goodbye to our pastor of 16 years, beloved. It's tough. It's good and it's right to feel pain. It's okay to grieve. It shows that your heart is beating and that you've lost something that's dear. But friends, part of the reason why we can rejoice is because we, we have the opportunity and the joy to suffer together. We, the Lord, we talked about this also at the, at the youth group that the Lord, is, the Lord has put us together into a body of believers. And whether we're suffering in the midst of persecution or we're suffering loss, we suffer together. I mean, we, we wrap our arms around one another. We comfort one another. We pray for one another. And let me encourage you, you know, everyone is going to deal with the tra- time of transition differently. Don't look down on somebody if it, it, it's harder for them. Wrap your arm around them. Encourage them. Show them love. Pray for them. Stand beside them. We do it together. We pray for one another. That's what we do because the Lord has given us that opportunity to speak into one another's lives, to comfort one another. That is one way that the Lord Himself comforts us is through each other. But even in the midst of our grief, friends, we can still rejoice because he, he goes on and he goes, he goes in this re- you rejoice even though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. There's, there's, there's a rejoicing because there is going to be a glorious result. There's a glorious purpose for this testing that we endure together. He says it's going, it's going to result in praise and glory and honor. Now, he doesn't say to who. 
He doesn't say to who's going to receive this praise and glory and honor. And I'm going to suggest to you there's two groups of people that are going to be getting this praise and glory and honor. First and foremost, I think it will result in praise and glory and honor for us. Hold on. I know you're going to react to this, but hold on. It's for us. And here's what I say. this: We've been, we've been told, we've been promised this, this life, this inheritance that is going to be marked with trials. But for those who persevere, God promises over and over in Scripture blessing and honor for those who persevere to the end. Jesus would talk about it as a treasure or a reward. Uh, it, it, and, and what better words, what, what more do you want to hear? I mean, the number two, the two words I want to hear one day. Well done. Well done. As though, I, as though there's something that I have earned, which I haven't. But that is something that is promised. Well done, good and faithful servant. And in Revelation, it says, be, Jesus said, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Crown and reward and treasure. Honor and glory and, and praise for us. This is one of, I think, is one of the most radical aspects of the gospel of grace. One of the most radical aspects. And here's what I mean. God abundantly and lavishly promises to us His grace beyond our, ma- our measure. So who are we but sinners? Who are we but sinners that deserve His wrath? We don't, we don't even have a right to know this God except to know Him as He is crushing, his, crushing us under His foot. But He has extended His mercy to us. He has revealed Himself to us and, and, his, and his love to us in, in His Son, Jesus Christ, as our Savior and as our faithful shepherd. He, he, is, he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and He has brought us into His, his kingdom of light. He has made us His children. We know Him as our Father. And as we, as we walk in life, He is the one that sustains and protects us. He is the one who, by God's power, is guarding us through faith to salvation. And as we seek to live in a way that is glorifying to Him, if we have any fruition in our deeds, it is only by His power, the power of the Holy Spirit, the one who who works in us to will and to work according to His good pleasure. So if we make it to the end, if we have done anything praiseworthy, it is only because He has worked in us. And yet, and yet, at the end, the Lord promises to say to you, well done. Well done. Here is a crown of life. Enter into my happiness forever and ever. It is absolutely absurd, my friends. And it is so glorious and so awesome and so perfectly true. And yet, we who know this love of, of, of God know that those who make it to that point, those who, are rece- who receive that blessing and honor will have no choice but to give all the glory and do back to our Lord Jesus Christ. We are the ones who will fall on our faces, cast our crowns before Him and say, worthy are You, our God, to receive blessing and honor and power and glory and strength forever and ever. For You are our God and it is by Your blood that You purchase us as Your special possession. (laughs) And friends, we know that is ours. Peter tells us that that is ours 
And he says, that is, that is the glory that we have to come. But we can taste that joy and that glory even now. And, and he says this, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. This is how, we, this is how you know faith. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you have not seen him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. It's as if, I envision Peter kind of leaning back in his chair and just kind of marveling at the grace of God here. Marveling at the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because Peter, Peter saw the Lord Jesus. And Peter, Peter struggled. He struggled with his faith. But here he says, he goes, he goes, you guys, you guys haven't even seen him. And you love him. That's faith. The Lord is with you. The Lord has poured out his Holy Spirit on you. And he goes, and you, you, haven't, you haven't seen him and you believe in him. And you rejoice with joy that you can't even describe. This salvation is yours. It is yours. Yes and amen. Beloved, the inheritance is yours. If we have every reason to rejoice. He, that we, we know that it is ours because we have that faith. We, we know that it is ours because we're facing those trials and that the Lord is working that faith in us. He is proving it out. He's proving that it's genuine. That, that, that is, it is phenomenal. We, we have every reason to rejoice, beloved. We have a, the surety of God's promises. That this living hope is ours. That this inheritance is ours. Yes and amen. We have every reason to rejoice because these trials are just for a little while. But they have a glorious purpose to prove out the genuineness of our faith. And we have every reason to rejoice that this joyous love that we have in our hearts for our Savior Jesus Christ will result in praise and glory and honor and joy forever and ever. Let's pray together. Beloved, your grace, our beloved Lord, your grace is astounding to us. It is far more than we could ever ask and imagine. We praise you, Father. We know that we have no right to, to glory in anything save the work that you have done in us. And yet you have given us these promises again and again of your grace overflowing beyond what we can even, even picture, picture or imagine. Help us to walk in a way that reflects the confidence that we have in your gospel, the confidence that you are guarding us to the end, that nothing can be taken away from us. And give us joy beyond measure. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, we can